well. I'm going to try to get through a little early today so we can get to eating dinner or lunch. And uh, Scott's not sure that's going to happen, but it is going to happen. But I'm going to have to move kind of quickly. But in order to do that, let me just say a couple of things. Why are we doing, why are we spending so much time in Genesis? Uh, I grew up believing that that was all just background material, right? Genesis is background material, which you really need to know are the Gospels and then maybe Paul's writings and then the rest of it. Uh, but in all truth, um, what I learned the more I studied the New Testament is that you need to know the Old Testament to understand the New Testament. And so Genesis is like, it is rich. It is rich. When we started the church, Scott and I went to several um, conferences and we went to go hear how you to start a church and all that. If if you don't know, Scott and I, we the idea for Journey kind of ruminated in me for a couple of years, but it didn't actually start happening until lunch between Scott and I at Loopy's, and we were like, you know, we should go do this, and we did, and so here we are. And so um, when we would go, they would say, you know, when you preach, preaching is so important, everything's about the preaching, and there are five topics you need to preach on if you want people to come to your church, and just preach on those five topics. You could do the other stuff too, but teach on these five topics, and, and the topics were like marriage and parenting and sex and uh, finances and there was another one too i can't remember what it was what it's not hell not not if you want people to come yeah um and so you know and and if you go basically one of the primary messages you hear if you want because those are all super important things they're all very important things but if you want to know uh how to have the best marriage you've got to understand genesis (laughs) Uh, if you want to know how to parent, you've got to understand the Old Testament. If you want to understand what this whole faith is about, you have to understand the Old Testament. That's why Jesus said, when we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, he said, I'm here not to, to get rid of all of that. I'm here to show you, if you lived it out, what it would look like. And, uh, and so it is through him that we're able to do that. So we're not going to be spending a lot of time talking about Jesus on the cross, even though that's incredibly important, because uh, that's how we have a relationship with him today. But this is also so important. But what I mostly want you to get throughout this series on Genesis is is not the order of the days of creation. It's not the flood, which we're going to talk about today. And it's not even the story of Abraham's family. This is is really not a story about Adam and Eve. It's not a story about Noah. And it's also not a story about Abram or his family. All of Genesis is a story about God. And so if we don't understand that story, the rest of the Bible won't make sense. So we're spending the rest of... Well, it may be the rest of this year, to be honest, Genesis 12 through 50. Uh, but this is our second week in this series. If you missed the first one, that's all right. Um, you can pick up later, and uh, you can go back and listen to one and two. The first two weeks of this series, which was last week and this week, is all about how to read the story. And we have to understand how to read the story, because as we go through these stories, it's going to be very easy to go, oh, I know the story of Abraham. Oh, I know the story of uh, Jacob and Esau. I know the story of, you know, whatever. And as we've talked about this lullaby effect in the past, we have a tendency to read the story and miss the story. Like we know the main characters and we know the plot and we know the things that happened A, B, and C, but we don't really know what the point was. And we we, we draw from it what we think the point is, um, but sometimes we don't even really know what the point was. And one of the things that we need to look at is um, what how did ancient Near Easterners learn. And what I shared with you last week, and I don't want to go through everything, but I want to quickly um, help you rediscover 
what we talked about last week. Thank you, everybody. Whatever just happened there. I don't know what just happened. Another story is happening in the midst of this story, which is exactly what we're going to talk about today, right? Uh, just stories within stories. In the ancient Near Eastern, or for the ancient Near Eastern, or, uh, learning happens by discovering truth. It is not learned simply by transferring truth. Now, we typically learn transferring truth. I love the process of transferring truth. If you look at my notes, my notes are in an outline fashion, and you'll see points A, B, C, and D, and subpoints and things like that. And that's a very Western way of learning. Uh, tell me what I need to know. Tell me the things that are most important. Tell me the things I need to take away from that. And, and usually when we, preachers learn to preach, uh, they learn that structure. You start with an introduction that funnels down to your three main points, and then you have to have an illustration that ties it all together, tells you what to do. Then a conclusion that's a reverse funnel, um, which kind of mirrors your introduction. You, and, and then at the end of the day, they walk out and you've transferred the information and a couple of ideas on how you should use it. I have found that is the least effective way to actually follow Jesus. Um, even though that's my preferred way of learning. It's the least effective way because that's not really how God works. Because God's not just sitting up there saying, okay, I want you to do A, B, and C in your life, and if you do A, B, and C, then I'll welcome you into heaven, and if you don't, you're going to go to hell. Even though most of us actually believe that's the story God's been telling in Scripture. That's not the story. To the ancient Near Easterner, it was learning was about discovery. And so when we come to... The scriptures, with the same mindset that we come to a book or a movie, we want to know plot points, we want to know where the climax is, we want to know what are the, the main things I need to take away, and what are the action steps. And we want to walk away with that. And so we enter into a story with, with trying to understand, in the beginning, this happened. And that's exactly how we often read Genesis 1. And yet, what we discovered last week is that there's a literary tool out there that helps us find what the real treasure of the story is. It's one that we don't use, most of us, in our own writing or in our own reading. And for myself, as I shared last week, I, I have a lot of seminary education, including a lot of time in, in Greek and Hebrew, and we never talked about any of this stuff. So you probably haven't studied this either, and some of you, I asked to raise your hands if you had heard of it, some of you had. Um, a lot of the material I shared last week and this week comes from the same place. It's from a guy by the name of Marty Solomon who was, uh, he grew up in a, a evangelical home, and he went to Israel, and when he was there he met a, a rabbi, and the rabbi began to open up scripture to him. And he was like, oh my gosh, this changes everything. And so he committed his life to learning that. And so he started traveling with that rabbi, uh, started teaching him and started unraveling these things. And we do live in the 21st century, so um, he could follow him and his podcast and his teachings online. You could do the same. But his name's Marty Solomon, and, uh, and he has a podcast. Some of you have asked that name again. It's called the Bema Podcast. Uh, you can go to Genesis, to, to chapter, to, it's like episodes one and three or the, th the two that I'm, I talked about last week and today. So I don't want to take credit for all the things I'm going to share with you, but they have been very helpful for me and I think they'll be very helpful for you. Next week we're diving into Abraham's story because this story really um, sets the tone for everything else. And in doing that, I'm also going to be referencing throughout this series another favorite that you've heard me mention before, which is the Bible Project. Um, and so we're going to be looking at some of the stuff that they've shared with us as well, some videos and different things um, in the coming weeks. Super excited about it. Um, I want you to discover new truths. I do not want you to walk out of here and, and be scanning and trying to memorize notes. Um, I may give you some points that I take away from what I think the treasure is of the story, but you may discover a complete, while the, the structure leads to the treasure, you may 
take that treasure and apply it in a different way in your life. And if you do that, then this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. It looks like discovering the truth and figuring out how that fits in your life. All right? Uh, So let's dive in. I want to very quickly take you back through what I shared last week just as a precursor, but I'm not going to share that much about last week, so you can go back and listen if you want to. Um, In a chiasm, that's our literary structure, you identify the treasure by finding the bookends and working towards the center. I don't have my whiteboard up here. Um, I heard there were some snide remarks about my whiteboard last week, and that's okay. I still love you, even though you're wrong. But um, some people made fun of my whiteboard, said you couldn't see it, and things like that. Um, So if anybody has, I tried to find like an old school chalkboard, you know, black board um if anybody's got one or knows where we could procure one i mean like old school like has wheels on the bottom and when you roll it out it squeaks i have that kind of old school chalkboard that'll give us a little more contrast i'm looking for one that's like a four by six i found one i thought and then i didn't so they're not real easy to find because when's the last time you went shopping for a chalkboard probably not anytime soon anyways um i shared some some um, drawings. Uh, I decided to put them on a slide for you instead. So next slide. Chiastic structure, two ways that we primarily see that. Um, there's a repeating structure where a, there's A1, B1, C1, and then there's A2, B2, C2. So where A and A mirror each other, B and B mirror each other, C and C mirror each other, we find a treasure in the middle. We saw that um, structure in Genesis 1 in the creation story. Next slide. Oh, there it is. Um, we can also have a completely mirroring structure where you have A, B, C, and D, and then the exact opposite or in the reverse in a mirror, D, C, B, A. And then when you find the very center of that story, you find a treasure. Now, I want to give the same warning this week that I gave last week, and that is we are not going to get caught up in codification. Um, if you've been if you've been around Christianity for any amount of time, you know people try to find secret codes in the Bible, and then they try to come up with new knowledge as a result of that code. Most um, usually, when someone does that, they're trying to determine when Jesus is going to return, and they'll take the third letter of this verse and the fifteenth letter of this verse in this chapter and the sixth letter over here, and and then they'll say, oh, it's August twelfth, two thousand and twenty-two, and then August twelfth, two thousand twenty-two comes. And nothing happens. And then it's August 13th. And we're like, well, we shouldn't listen to them either. So uh, we're not going in the dir- this weird, confusing route of um, codification. But this is a genuine, ancient, Near Eastern literary tool used to show us the point of the stories that we tend to just gloss over. And I want to quickly, 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 quickly do do the two that we did. I just want to show you the structure, then we're going to move on and spend a little more time on the flood story today. So next slide. This is the chiasm. Now, Jeremy, I did the same color you did, and it doesn't show up like you did. So he fixed this last week. We had this wonderful moment last week where everyone, like literally everyone out here went, ah, and I thought, they got it. I was so excited. I, I thought you would have gotten it before that moment, but if it was then, that's fine. But like everybody collectively got it, and I turned around, and he had fixed all my slides. So everybody was happy to see that. had nothing to do with me whatsoever. See, just like that. Jeremy, you are so good at this. So um, I want you just to see this quickly. This is not the whole verse. You see A1, B1, C1. You see the treasure. A2, B2, C2. Mirror. 
Day one, God created light, separated it from the darkness. Interestingly, at day four, God created the lights in the sky, the sun, the moon, and the stars. They mirror each other. Uh, B1, for day two, God created water and separated it from the sky. We drop down to B2 towards the bottom. On day five, God created the birds who flew in the sky and fish who swam in the water. So you couldn't have day five without day two. And then C1, day three, God separated land and water and created vegetation on the land. Drop down to the very bottom, C2. At day six, God created, commissioned humanity to manage the rest of creation and gave them something to eat. So you couldn't have day six without day three. So A, B, and C, day one, two, and three mirror day four, five, and six. And so if we go to the center of that chiasm, we find the treasure. And the verse right in the middle of that And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And that word moed is right in the middle of that chiasm, seasons. So these days are important. But what we've done over time is to say a test of faith is that you have to believe these all happen in 24-hour periods of time. And let me just reiterate, and I've had this conversation a couple times this week. Uh, if, that, if God created this in, 20, in seven twenty-four or six 24-hour periods of time, I'm totally fine with that. But I'm also totally fine if it took him millions of years to do that because the point of the story is not this. It is not, the point of the story is not the science of it. The point of the story is that God created it. God had an intention for the way he created it. But the center point of this story, it has nothing to do with the time periods. The center point is there are seasons. There are sacred seasons. Now, one of the points that Marty Solomon brings out about this is that this is written to a group of people that their whole livelihood is around what they do, their ability to produce. Scholars tell us that this was likely written after Genesis 12 through 50. This is likely written after the Exodus and after they've already settled the promised land and now they're in exile in Babylon. That is when Genesis 1 through 11 was written. So this was written sooner than the Exodus story was. And in their minds, their values and what they do, and one of the the ways he takes the truth out of this treasure is, it is not in what you do, whether it's making bricks because you're enslaved, or whether it's your job, or whether it's what you do in the house. Your value isn't who you are as you. You have innate value as someone who bears the image of God and is loved by God. But we do have seasons. And there are times we need to rest, and we come to day seven, and day seven is all about resting from doing. And then sometimes we actually need to have the reverse, where we do an awful lot of resting, and we need to do a little more doing. So there's lots of things you can take from that treasure, all right? All right, next slide. So then we go to the fall, and you see our structure is not a repeat of ABC, ABC, but this is where we mirror ABCD and then DCBA, and the treasure, again, is in the middle. So let's go, and we're going to have to break this up because this was just a lot. And we see this. So, so this is the first part, A1. Oh, no, this, no, this is the whole thing. I'm, I had to break up the flood. This one is the whole thing. A1. And these are shortened verses. The serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. And she took of its fruit and ate, which sounds very similar to A2 at the very bottom, which is chapter 3, verse 13. What is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I ate. 
Very similar, right? It's a mirror of each other. To go back up to the top to be one at, at chapter three, verse six. She gave to her husband and he eat. And he ate. Drop down to be two. Uh, chapter three, verse twelve. The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. They're, they're mirroring each other. The same if we go to see, and the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Drop down to see two. And God said to them, Who told you that you were naked? perfect mirror and then d1 and they heard the voice of god walking in the garden and the man and his wife hid themselves d2 chapter 3 verse 10 and he said i heard your voice in the garden and i was afraid because i was naked and i hid myself and so we come to the center of this chiasm and it's not really about sin and it is but it's not it's not really about judgment it's really about relationship and god called to the man and said to him where are you and so we discovered that really What they're trying to tell us through the story is not that those other pieces don't matter, but they've told the story in such a way that what we should take out of that is that God is constantly asking us this question, where are you? Where are you? Which is really important because if God's goal was to punish and to judge and to send us to hell, then he could have just done that. But instead, he's saying, where are you? It also reminds us, and if you're not following us on Facebook or you're not a part of our, fa- our private group as an attender, um, I also sent a couple of reminders this week that just said, uh, just, just keep in mind that God did not move. We moved. And so even though we in our prayer time want to say, God, where are you? It's God's question to ask, where are we? Because God didn't move, we did. But also that God's primary intent here is not to punish but to bring us back and that's what the whole rest of the story is about next slide the central question driving the rest of the story in scripture is a holy a holy and loving creator asking where are you so if you've come up in a a religious system that has been like you better not do anything wrong or you're going to hell like this is this is revolutionary for you because god is saying i want you with me He's not looking for you to mess up and to punish you. He's saying, I want you to be with me. Now, the whole rest of the story is important for us to understand how God's going to work that out, and and we're going to see a lot of that in Genesis 12 through 50. But what I want to do is I want to take you through one more of these. This is the last one I'm going to take you through pre-Genesis 12, because we'll see plenty of these throughout the rest of Genesis, but I want you to see this from, from another story that you're very familiar with, and that's the flood story. And everybody knows the flood story. I mean, the flood story is we got so bad, God needed to wipe us out. And if it weren't for good guy Noah, we would all be toast. But is that the point of the story of Noah? In some ways. But there's always a story behind the story. There's always something more going on than just what we see with their eyes. And with this lullaby effect, what we have a tendency to do is just gloss over, because I've heard that story. Because if you grew up in the church, you heard the story of Noah all the time. I mean, you had the little ark with the little animals you could play with, because who doesn't love animals? I mean, we don't have, like, all the perishing people. Wouldn't that be a neat playset? Like, Fisher-Price, true Noah story, and you get, like... 12 animals and a thousand dead people like that's the story of noah right but those don't sell those don't sell they they might now but they don't sell so i want you to see this story with within the the story of noah and i 
and I, this is also my intent here is not to say that the flood didn't exist, didn't happen. I mean, we this is where we can gather information from lots of places. And one of the things that we find when it comes to a global flood is that every ancient civilization has a story of a global flood, which seems a little conspicuous, doesn't it? It's like if one person says, oh yeah, the whole world flooded. You'd be like, uh, uh okay. But if you literally have people from all over the world saying, yeah, the whole world flooded, then there probably was a really big flood at one point, right? And interestingly, there's lots of similarities in these flood stories, including the fact that the, 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 fact that the, the god or gods, depending on which story you read, looked down on humanity and it was so corrupt and so messed up, they just wanted to wipe us out. It's just that most of the flood stories don't end the way that Noah's does. Even though some ancient flood stories written in other places reference Noah and his sons. One of the oldest pieces of literature we have, written well before this flood story, based on what we know from archaeologists, is the Epic, which was another flood story. And in that one, the gods were just done with us, and they were going to destroy us. And we have this hero, and this hero comes in and builds a boat and puts all these animals on the boat, and in spite of the gods, rescues all of humanity and animals through this representative group of people on the raft. But he did it in spite of the gods because the gods intended for everything to be destroyed. Well, the story of Noah is very different, and I don't intend to read through all of this because, as I said, you'll find not only a chiasm, you'll find chiasms within chiasms, and sometimes you'll find them nice and neat, like in Genesis 1 creation account, and sometimes you'll find them nice and neat in the fall account where you can just look at a few verses right together. And then sometimes you'll find them written over not just verses but not, and paragraphs and then in the way we have our Bible designated through chapters, like really large sections. Now that's encouraging to me because it tells me they weren't just out telling fairy tales. They had, in, they were in, they were focused on this story, and they were telling this story with layer upon layer upon layer, layers that most of us miss, because the writing of Scripture is just absolutely brilliant. They they think on a level we don't think on, and if we in our Western linear thinking do not stop to discover the way they were writing. We're going to miss a lot of what they're saying. So let's jump into this story. Uh, this is the flood story. We find this um, in Genesis. Um, well, we, we find it starting in Genesis chapter 6. i got to find my notes. Where are my notes? Here we go. Well, let's just start. Let me go and order my notes so I don't get lost. But we find it in, in chapter 6, and this is going to go through, through chapter 9. But I want to read just the beginning of the story, which begins in Genesis chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. And it says, This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was a father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. Which, interestingly, he just said Noah wasn't, and then he says Noah, everyone was corrupt. Uh... That's going to be important later in the way that we look at Abraham and his story. 
So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. And then you know the story, and if you don't know the story, you should go read the story. And even when we're done, and you're like, Mark is sounding a little weird up there, you should go back and you should read this all and find this for yourself. Because again, the purpose of learning in this way of writing is discovery is not just me telling you what it is. This is one of the reasons when rabbis taught, they didn't teach in lecture, they taught with questions. Because they intended for you to discover some things for yourself and not just be told what the answer is. In parenting, this is a really effective way of parenting, but a lot of the times if we're tired or if we're frustrated or if we've got other things we need to do, we just want to give the answer, but our kids don't actually learn until they experience for themselves, right? How many of you would say, I didn't actually learn anything until I tried it myself. Like my parents told me this was not good, but I didn't believe them. I tried it, and then I found out it wasn't good. Yeah. And I, Jonathan's just started driving. He's our third who started driving. He just got his, his license, which, um, you know, we, we ought to help each other with a little APB out when our new drivers are on the road just to let us know, but um, that's not how it works. But I, I told Jonathan, listen, like, you know, you're an okay driver, but you don't really learn how to drive until you drive by yourself. When you got someone in the car with you telling you what to do and watching over you and all that, you don't actually learn until you have to go out. I remember when I first started driving, um, I had been going to my grandmother's house, I mean, my entire life. And, uh, you know, so 16 years I'd been going, they lived in the same house. We would drive to the same house for 16 years and I would ride with mom and dad, but it time came for me to drive to their house for the very first time. And for those of you digital natives who have no idea what that was like, uh, if you didn't print out MapQuest, uh, you didn't just pull it up on your phone. That, we didn't have that. And so I got lost and I had to call. And you know how embarrassing it is? Call your grandmother and say, I have no idea how to get to your house. I know I've been coming like every other week my entire life, but I have no idea how to get there. I don't know where I am right now. There's a part that you don't actually learn things until you discover them for yourself. So my point is not for you to walk out of here and go, oh, Mark has completely changed my mind on something. I want to open your mind to some opportunities the way mine has been open to some opportunities, but you have to be the one to discover them. You have to be the one to discover them. What we find, and this is just an aside that I think is important to the story, um, that what God is trying to do is not just that God looked down and he got mad and what kind of mean God would destroy everybody, but what we also see is how contagious corruption and evil really is so this is kind of the progression of evil we've seen thus far in this story if we go back and read it all we'll go to the next slide Uh, evil starts with the serpent not with eve but starts with the serpent and the serpent tempts eve and then eve brings it into her marriage and she tempts adam and let's be honest if the serpent had come to adam uh, he would have done the same thing you know it's just happened he went to eve first uh but came to Eve, then it entered into their marriage. Evil traveled into their family. And then we have the story of Cain and Abel, their children, their sons. And we see now the whole family has been corrupted by sin. And then when we get to this point of the story, we find that in a very few short generations, uh, this corruption and this evil has now taken over the rest of the world. And God says, I'm putting a stop to this. Putting a stop to this. So then we come to the flood story. 
Next slide. This is our chiasm for today. Now, what you're going to find is this one's way more complex and longer than the two that we did last week. Um, we're going to actually go from A to M. And then we're going to do an another mirror from M all the way back to A. This is over three chapters. So I'm not going to try to read it all, nor am I going to try to put every verse up there. Um, and then if that's the case, then somewhere between the M's is our treasure for this story. And you may think you know what that treasure is. And maybe some of you are already looking for it. I can't do this on our screen as well to show you the mirroring, but go ahead and go to the next slide. This is what we see, A through M, the very first part of this story. This is going to take us from uh, Genesis 6-9 all the way to Genesis 7, verse 21. This is our first telling. You'll see A1, B1, C1, all the way down to M1. Then you'll see some uh, numbers that are now yellow, better than that dark red that I had. And we begin that Noah was a righteous man in verse 9. Okay? And if you're not following along, this is way easier if you're following along on version because you can see the whole thing on version. So if you're not on version, you can do that. And by the way, I, I had someone else ask, and we I usually would say this, and I haven't in quite some time. Like We have the slide up that you can type in the direct link or the QR code you can scan to get to today's notes. But if you have the version app and you want to know just how to find it, it's a little buried. So you open the version app, you go to the More button on the bottom right-hand corner of the app. It'll pop up a menu, hit Events. And then it'll show you everyone that's got version notes within a 10, 15-mile radius. And you'll see our notes there. You can find it that way in-app, which is great because you can see it, you can save it, you can share it, you can do what you want to with it. Um, and then we go down into B1, and we have the introduction to Noah's son, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then the earth is filled with violence and corruption. And then... We have this first divine address, the earth is going to be destroyed. And then we have, that, sh that should be the second part of that, um, Noah, you should go build an ark. And this is going to very closely mimic Abram's story, but we'll talk about that next week. F1, second divine address, uh, tells them to enter the ark, and then they're going to wait for the flood seven days, and we see there's a number seven there. Seven days waiting for the flood, and then we see the beginning of the flood, and they're going into the ark, and then God shuts the door, J1, K1, then there's a 40-day flood, so that number 40, remember that number 40? And the waters increase. The waters prevail, mountains are covered. Then uh, after another 150 days, the water prevails. You can go find all of that just by reading whatever your favorite version is. I'm not making any of this up. Say A1 to B1. We start with Noah the righteous man. We end with 150 days of water prevails. And now let's go to the next slide. The next verse is that God remembers Noah. The next slide. And now we have the exact reverse of what we just saw. We have 150 days water abates, where if you saw M1... We had 150 days where the water prevails. And then we have um, the waters go away and the mountaintops are visible. And then we have 40 days. And then we have Noah opens the window of the ark versus shutting up of the ark. We have the raven and the dove leave the ark versus coming into the ark. We have the seven days waiting for the waters to subside. That's in there twice. 
I mean to put that in. Well, no, that's right. And then he, he speaks to them again. Another divine address. Leave the ark, which completely mirrors get into the ark. And it's harder to see when we, I can't put them side by side. God's commit, or, uh, then Noah builds an altar. God's commitment to, to preserve the earth. And then another address. His covenant blessing and peace. And then we have Noah's sons again. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. If you remember, that was the second B that we saw on the last slide. And then A in the bottom, Noah, life and death. So can you go back to A1, B1, C1? Skip the treasure. Look at the very top. Noah the righteous man, Noah's son, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Then go back to the last slide. Last slide we just did. Down at the very bottom. Noah's son, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's life and death. You could go in and do some more work here. My, my goal is not to let you see every single one of these points. My goal is to open up the opportunity that there's something more to this story. So A through M is completely mirrored again in M through A. And the reason the authors did this is because the authors want to say, yes, the number of days are important. Yes, the progression is important. Yes, the plot, the storyline, the characters are important. But there's another story behind this story that we want you to be sure that you see because this story, unlike the Epic of Gilgamesh, this story is not about Noah. The story is about God. We want to make it about Noah. Oh, we are really thankful for Noah, or we wouldn't be here. This, this is not about Noah. Interestingly, and this is sometimes hard for us to embrace, our stories are also not just about us. Oh, yeah, it's about my spouse or my kids. Yeah, it's about them. Our stories are also about God. And that's one of the things that we tend to reject in our kind of Americanized way of thinking because in, in, our, in the Americanized way of thinking where we are ultimately given the God-given right to pursue happiness, our lives tend to be just about us. We're the center of the story. I mean, how many of us, and we all do, and, and we all participate in this kind of false uh, story that we make up in our minds, how many of us feel like other people see us as just supporting characters in their story? Like they only call us when they need us. They don't ever check on us any other time. You know, they, we just feel like for them, like I only exist if they need something from me. We all have those relationships. And let's be honest, other people look at us and view us as being those people. Because we all do it. We all have the tendency to think this life story is about us. My story is about me. You all are only here for me. And your tendency is to think your life story is about you and we're only here for you. And if we're honest, a lot of people live this way and a lot of Christians live this way. But this is not God's story. This is not what the story that God wants us to know. Also, the point of this story is not if you want God to work in your life, you've got to make sure you're the righteous person. And this is one of the themes that I want us to see over and over and over again in Genesis 12 through 50, is that God kept working in the lives of people who weren't righteous. Now that may bring some, some relief and some hope to some of you who are like, I'm trying, but I'm not very good at it. To know that God is not just saying, Mark, he can't get it. And yet he continues to work. 
So the very center of these two mirroring sections, what's interesting about what they really wanted us to see and the interpretive lens for the rest of the story is not wickedness, and it is not sin, and it is not judgment. But if we go back to that treasure slide, the treasure is God remembers Noah. Which is kind of an interesting center of the story because you would sure hope God would remember him because at this point of the story, he's already on the boat with the animals floating on a flooded world. Like, what else did God have to do? You know, like, he, all of a sudden, it's just Noah and his family. You don't have to be worried about anyone else right now. But the text says God remembers Joah, remembers Joah, remembers Noah. So if it's not about God forgetting Noah, and then all of a sudden, oh, wait, he's still floating. What does this mean? What does the center of the story mean for you? Well, for you, you have to discover what does it mean that God remembered Noah. And, and sometimes you need to ask the question, does God remember me? Do you ever pray that? I pray that. God, don't forget us. Don't forget me. If you don't ever pray that, I would encourage you to start praying that. And it's not that God forgets me. See, in this story, uh, Noah has not all of a sudden escaped his ability to know that he exists and that he's in this peril. Instead, it is God being intentional to say, I'm thinking about you. I'm active in your life. You're the center of my attention right now. One of the things I think we struggle with this post-pandemic world is that we, we were told um, that we, we do good by being separate. Not being close, not being together, not being in the same room. Uh, and so we embraced it and we did it and we practiced it. You know, psychologists tell us a habit takes 30 days to build, but we did it for two years almost, and uh, and some of us we need to remember each other again. Not that we've forgotten, but we need to be more intentional about these relationships, just as God was intentional about this relationship with Noah. God remembered this points, and we saw this throughout uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus pointing us to an intentional way of life which is you won't accidentally find this you won't accidentally experience this you won't accidentally enter the kingdom of heaven you won't accidentally experience the the kingdom of heaven here on earth you cannot just accidentally experience it it has to be intentional So many of us, we live our lives with so many things we're trying to accomplish and so many priorities that we're trying to juggle that we stop being intentional about the most important things and we just give it whatever time we have left. Which is why we spend so little time with each other anymore. God remembers Noah. What would it look like in your life right now for God to just show up in your face and say, I remember you? What would that do for you?
I remember you. This is the treasure of the story. God remembers Noah. Now you can take from that what you want, and even that is not meant to be just a thing, oh, God remember Noah, okay. It's meant for us to discover and spend some time and to explore and to figure out what does that mean for us. If we go back within, we also see a chiasm. Within a chiasm, not only do we see the topics, can you go back to that first slide? We see the number seven. There's actually another seven. The seven-day wait for the flood in G1. So it's seven, seven, forty, one, fifty, and then go back to the, and we see the exact reverse in the exact same order: one fifty, forty, seven, seven. We have a chiasm within a chiasm. And when you begin to see these things, you begin to go, "Oh my word! These people, these people were deep." We tend to look back at people that came up in older times and, and ancient times, and they were simple. Like, we're way more simple than they, they were. And so when we discover this, does this lead to a place of going, wow, I need, I need to go read some more stories again? Or do you go, oh, that was an interesting 30 minutes, 40 minutes. I got other things to do now. There is just something about the Holy Spirit that when you begin to see these truths, that they grab your heart and they don't let go. And you need more. There's a thing about a follower of Jesus who just needs more. And there's a point in this, you know, there's a point in our culture uh, where, like, I just don't need more of Jesus or the Bible or any of this stuff. And you can't follow Jesus that way. I mean, the Holy Spirit draws you to this. this is, Jesus said this is what the Holy Spirit will do. It will not only convict you of this, but lead you to understand this. And it just draws you in. That doesn't mean that this story alone, you should just absolutely be content for the next six months to read nonstop. I don't mean that. But I mean, does this it, go and explore and go and find? Interestingly, if you, um, next slide, this is all Marty Solomon because I never would have seen this. And um, he traces um, that this is actually a complete mirroring of the creation story as well. So you've heard others say there are different atoms. Adam was the first atom. Noah was the second atom. Abraham was another atom. Jesus was another atom. This story interestingly mimics the creation story. He sends a wind over the earth at this point of which he's clearing the water from the flood. He sends a wind over the earth, same word we use for wind, spirit, or breath. We see that in day one and that he is, the spirit is hovering over the waters of the deep. And at the same time, this wind now comes over the waters of the deep that have flooded the earth. That's what we see, that's day one. Day two, he opens a window, but day two in the creation story is he creates the light to separate the light and the darkness. And the window lets in light. All Marty saw him. I wouldn't have come up with that. And then day three, the rain stops, and now you have water above and you have water below, and the dry ground appears, which mirrors day three. Noah sends out a raven, and... Uh, the raven comes back, and now you have birds in the air. He sends out a dove, and the dove doesn't come back, and now you have animals on land. 
That's day five. And then on day six, animals leave the ark and then the humans. And God created the animals and then the humans. And they populated the dry ground. Now, I am not going to put my eternal destiny on this little coincidence or not. Simply to say, this, these, these stories are incredible, right? As I shared with you last week, if God handles his story this carefully, don't you think he handles your story carefully too? We so many times think he forgets us. I'm just over here doing my thing. Where's God? God remember Noah. And God remembers you. God handles his story with this great a care. God handles your story with great care as well. All right, I have to finish this uh, section of uh, Genesis because it completely sets us up for Abraham and his family. And um, Marty Solomon draws the conclusion, where's day seven? You would expect there to be rest, but in the Noah flood story, there's not a day seven for rest. We immediately go to verse eight in chapter nine. This is that passage it says. And listen, listen for repetitiveness here. Then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants and with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, every living creature on earth. Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. Then God said, I am giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures. For all generations to come, I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. And when I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds, and I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will the flood waters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. Then God said to Noah, yes, this rainbow is the sign of the covenant I am confirming with all the creatures on earth. And oh my goodness, please don't carry on a conversation like that with me. I got it the first time. About a covenant. And it's between you and me and the rest of the earth. Got it. Got it. Like, you ever have those those conversations? And it's like, sometimes I find myself doing it. I get disgusted with myself. Like, I've said that three times now. I need to stop. I've done. It's sad. And we look at just this short little... Uh, you know, nine verses. Covenant is mentioned seven times. You'll notice when we last week we looked at other numbers, <laughs> sevens and threes and tens and things. Covenant is mentioned seven times. Earth is mentioned seven times. Clouds are mentioned five times, and rainbow is mentioned three times. And so, what we find within this little passage right here are chiasms within chiasms, using repetition of different words. And if you remember, chiasms mirror each other, and the treasure is where? In the middle. So if you have seven of something, where's the middle? Four. If you have three of something, what's the middle? Two. Again, I don't want to get into the codification of weird stuff, like Jesus is going to come back if you don't give me a million dollars, even though I think that would be pretty cool. But either way, honestly, comes back or gives me a million dollars. I'm up for either at this point, right? But in the Hebrew, again, all Marty Solomon, I wish I was this smart. I'm not. 
if you take the middle instance of every one of those words and you create a Hebrew phrase, the Hebrew phrase actually sounds very familiar because he repeats it over and over and over in this passage. And that phrase is this, when the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant. So this new earth that we have, new earth language is not new, right? We see it in other parts in Scripture. This new earth now that is now starting through the family of Moses, Moses, and we see the story within the story within the story. We see this incredible, this incredible chiasm that says God remembers. And then we see another one immediately after in that same story in which God says, when, when there's a rainbow in the clouds, I will remember my covenant with you. That word covenant we're going to see over and over and over again in Genesis 12 through 50. It is so very important that God is committing something to us and to the rest of the earth. This is so incredibly important. Now, while they didn't have this, the writers didn't have this, we know later John actually had a vision wrote it down, and it's the book we now have called Revelation. And this is part of the, you know, if we think, well, gosh, I mean, that's good it's good. God remembers and there's a rainbow. Like, when's the last time you saw a rainbow? Revelation 4.3, this is the vision of the throne room where Jesus sits, where Jesus is right now. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. In other words, like Jesus is looking at a rainbow all the time based on John's vision in Revelation. He's remembering his covenant every moment. Now you may or may not feel that that's an important thing. My point today is not to say that this covenant and this rainbow and the flood event is like the most important thing in the Bible. That's not my point. My point is to see how the authors wrote the story so that when we get to the story of Abram and his wife and his kids and their screw-ups and their successes, their faithfulness and their faithlessness, we have a, a better lens, a better rubric by which to understand what's the story they're trying to tell us than simply why in the world would God wants somebody to kill their own child. There's so much for us to discover. If you grew up in Sunday school like I did and you had the little Fisher-Price Noah and the Ark um, playset, you are in great danger of tuning out. Another story. He was faithful. God provided a ram. Big deal. Well, it is a big deal probably for more reasons than you recognize unless you explore the story and the stories within the story. For now, what do we leave this story with? If we were to take this story on the three main things that we see uh, happening throughout Genesis 6 through 9, we find that there's all evil all the time. <laughs> all right? Not a good picture. Some would say, ah, it feels kind of familiar. All evil all the time, but God remembers. God remember Noah. And he says, I will remember my covenant. So the story is not about punishment. The story is not about death. 
The story is not about you better not screw up or God's going to come get you. The story is, I'm going to remember you. This is never going to happen again. I'm committing a covenant to you. And in so doing, I will never break it. I will never break my promises to you. If you're here today and you're thinking, I, I am not sure God has made me any promises. I assure you He has. If you're sitting here thinking, I am just trying to get my life together so that I can be a part of a church or I can be a part of God's family or I can just hopefully go to heaven one day. Oh, this story is so much better than just trying to be perfect. Oh, that is such a defeating way of living life. But I hope you'll join us next week. We're going to start with Abram. We're going to start with the basic question of why Abram? We're going to be pulling in some stuff from our friends at the Bible Project that I've shared with you before, and which I'm super excited about. And um, I've been told that sometime, you know, I've been told before the things I intend to share with you might not be a good idea if you want to grow the church. And I'm okay, cool. Uh, This is good stuff. I I believe this stuff. This is not just good storytelling. This is true. And when we embrace the idea that this is true, oh, life opens up. Your relationship with God, it opens up. You start seeing things you never saw before. You start hearing things you never heard before. And just not to freak you out, I don't mean like you start hearing voices. If you start hearing voices, we need to get you some help. But you will hear and see things, just as Jesus said, let those who have eyes to see, let them see. And let those who have ears to hear, let them hear. You will hear and see things you never heard, you never saw before, and life will open up. It's an amazing adventure, this thing called life, that God has not only gifted us, but promised to walk with us and covenanted not to destroy us. And we know that ultimately that covenant is going to be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. I want to pray with you. We've got uh, our offertory song. We're going to sing and worship, and we're going to worship through giving. And then um, uh, I believe Scott is out grilling burgers right now. If you want to go grab some burgers, hang out, visit, you can go to the event hall. The youth suite will be open. We've got some cornhole and spike ball outside. If you just want to sit and talk, sit and talk. Um, Let's remember. Let's remember each other.